Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Speaking to his flock in the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon, we join Archbishop Alexander Sample as he reflects upon our faith, culture, and life in the church on The Voice of the Shepherd. Joining Archbishop Sample is your host, Dina Marie Hale. And now, The Voice of the Shepherd. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to The Voice of the Shepherd. I'm Dina Marie Hale, your host, and with me in studio is Archbishop Alexander Sample. And today's program, we're going to focus on why do Catholics do what we do? And some of the celebrations that we hold true in our hearts, particularly as we enter into the month of August, there's some beautiful feast days to celebrate. And mm-hmm. how do we prepare for feasts? Why do we celebrate these feasts? And how do they bring us closer in relationship with Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior? So please help us begin yeah. in prayer, Archbishop. Sure. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, during these days of the summer season, when the weather is warmer and hopefully our lives are, are quieter and calmer. Father, we ask you to, to help us not to forget uh, you and to forget our faith and the love that you have shown us in your son Jesus and help us even during summer and summer vacations to be ever drawn closer to you and closer uh, to one another in faith, hope, and love. Uh, help us, Father, to, to not allow these months of summer to cause us to vacation <laughs> from our faith, but to, to even use it as a, as a time to grow ever deeper. So we place this radio time in your hands, Lord, asking that you lead us and guide us and inspire us. And all these things we ask through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Holy Mary, our hope, seed of wisdom. Pray for us. Saint Joseph. Pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. 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 And I, becoming a Catholic as an adult archbishop, and I've mentioned this many times, New ways for me to look at my relationship with Christ, my relationship with my fellow brothers and sisters, and just how I live my life. And I love to look at feast days in the church (laughs) and just celebrations. The transfiguration of the Lord, it's interesting that that is a feast day. It's something that we read about in the gospel accounts of this event. But to have something like the transfiguration be a particular feast or a celebration Mm -hmm. in the mass, in the church, why do we do that, and how does that tie us closer into our faith? Right. I think, you know, a, a way to to think about all of this, Dina Marie, is not just, you know, we, we can talk specifically about the, uh, the Feast of the Transfiguration, but why feasts at all, mm-hmm. and why does the church single out certain feasts uh, for observance in the church, and sometimes some with greater solemnity. I mean, right. we look at the church's calendar, and we have everything from uh, solemnities which are the highest level of, of observance, if you will. So things like Christmas is a solemnity. Easter Sunday, of course, is a solemnity. Every Sunday is a, a, an obligation day. So we have those, those high, high, high feasts. Uh, then we have below the level of uh, solemnity, we have feasts. And so they're, they're a little bit less uh, uh, solemn in their observance, if you will. And then you have memorials uh, of saints, uh, and then you have optional memorials mm-hmm. of saints, you know, so it, there's kind of this hierarchy, right. if you will, of, of feasts. So solemnities generally celebrate the more important, the most important aspects of our faith. All right. So they are the they are the, the, the mysteries of our faith that we celebrate 
that are that are more central, more important to our life of faith. Feasts, maybe a little less so. Memorials of saints, less so. And of course, optional memorials generally are, are saints that aren't uh, always recognized universally throughout the whole church, even though they're on the church's universal mm-hmm. calendar. So why do we do this? We, we celebrate these feasts because it's as the church celebrates these feasts, she is catechized she learns more and reflects ever more deeply on the mysteries of our faith. What if we just celebrated Christmas once mm-hmm. in our life, right? We celebrated the birth of Christ once. Well, that wouldn't be enough. You know, we, we want to continue to celebrate the birthday of Jesus. We, we want to continue to reflect on, on the mystery of the incarnation, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the birth of, of the Son of God into our world. We can't ex- ever exhaust that mystery. So we, we on this cyclical calendar, we, we continue to celebrate these feasts and events in the life of our Lord, of, of, of our Lady, of the saints, mm-hmm. uh, because they celebrate aspects of our faith that are important to us, that catechize us, that, that, that draws deeper in faith and to understand them more deeply, and, and to draw closer and, and to receive grace. Uh, I, I, to use a very secular example, in families, I think just about every family has certain things that they celebrate throughout the course of a year. It might be members' birthdays mm-hmm. of members of the family. It can be the anniversary, the marriage of the parents. Uh, you know, some families celebrate their baptismal days, right. you know, there's all, you know, and these are, these are ways that, that uh, unite the family, that, that, that strengthen the family bonds of love and charity. But in the church, in the community, in the family of the church, if you will, the assembly of the church, we celebrate these feasts to strengthen our faith, to cause us to deep, uh, deep, more deeply reflect on the mysteries of our faith, to be catechized, to receive grace, and to grow uh, in, in our faith uh, by by observing these on a regular basis in, in the church. And the and the Transfiguration, uh, this great feast we have on August sixth, is is one of those mysteries of our faith. It's a feast, so it's it's pretty high up there. It's not a solemnity, mm-hmm. but it's pretty high up there where Jesus takes Peter, James, and John off uh, on Mount Tabor and and is transfigured before them. Well, why is that important? Well. It's important because in that moment, Jesus reveals to those chosen apostles who he really is. You know, his, his divinity has been hidden, if you will, under, under the veil of his humanity, just like in the Eucharist. Uh, the, the real presence of Christ, body, blood, soul, and divinity, is hidden, if you will, under the appearance of the bread and the wine. In, in, a, in an analogous way, the divinity of Christ, who he truly is, the eternal Son of God made flesh, is sort of veiled, if you will, or hidden by his humanity. I mean, in other words, if we, if we saw Jesus walking toward us in his earthly form as he did uh, 2,000 years ago, I don't think we, – we, he might be one of those people that we look at and they have a certain light in their eyes or they have certain expression of love on their face and there's, there's an aura about them. Uh, like many of us, uh, first time I met St. John Paul II, there was no doubt. There was, a, there was something special about him. But we wouldn't say, wow, that's God walking toward me. You right. know? <laughs> so, so we don't see his divinity. But in that moment on the mountain, as he's preparing to head to Jerusalem, to offer his life and sacrifice for us. In that moment on the mountain before those chosen apostles, he lets his divinity shine forth for a moment. And he's radiant. 
and you know Moses and Elijah appear with him you know, to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. So there's a lot of symbolism in the mystery of the transfiguration. There's the symbolism, as I said, of, of the fulf- Jesus is the fulfillment of the law of Moses, is the fulfillment of all the prophecies of the Old Testament. Uh, his, his glory is shown forth that, that this is truly the Son of God incarnate in flesh. And, and this is given to these chosen ones so that they can tell us later of this event that strengthens our faith but also prepares them for the scandal of the cross. And in the preface for the Feast of the Transfiguration, we'll, we'll hear that, that you know he does this for them to prepare them for the scandal of the cross, that they will see the one they have come to believe as the Messiah, the Christ, uh, uh, betrayed, beaten, crucified, and buried, uh, and, to, and to prepare them for that. And uh, in fact, we, we, we get the story of the Transfiguration during Lent, also on one of the mm-hmm. Sunday, I think it's the... Is it the fourth Sunday of Lent, I think? We get the story of the transfiguration because it's, again, it's preparing us uh, for, for, for the scandal of the cross. So that's why we celebrate yeah. these kinds of feasts. And I think just how you reflect, Archbishop, it's so beautiful that in a family we do have things that we celebrate. Or we might think, remember when you, you know, you rode your bike for the first time, you yeah. learned how to walk. The way that we grow and develop, and we were graduated, eighth grade graduation, high school graduation, college, we continue to learn and grow in wisdom. Well, how much more is the church, our faith, and how we're growing and to look at the various saints that have gone before yeah, us, we you know, learn so much from them. It's very interesting as you as you say that, and this just comes to my mind as you're as you're talking. I, I recently took a short vacation uh, back to my place of birth mm-hmm. in Kalispell, Montana, and I can show you all kinds of pictures on my cell phone <laughs> right. of the pictures that I took of there. What pictures did I take? I took pictures of the two houses we lived at there. Mm-hmm. Because there's a connection there, and, right. and there's some rootedness there. I took uh, uh, a picture of the bank where my father used to work. I took a picture of the house of my godparents, mm. uh, which is now a law office of, <laughs> of all things. I took a picture of our parish church. I took a picture of, of the school that I only went to for a month before we moved away from Kalispell. All these things were connections for me, mm-hmm. and 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 not just nostalgia. It was rootedness for me. I, I was I felt in a strange way. I felt back home, and I think so. As we observe these things in the church, our traditions, our feasts, our rituals, these are all things that connect us and keep us connected to God, but also connected and rooted t- together uh, in 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 a rich rich ancient tradition of our faith. Right. And we have, well, our archdiocese is under the patronage of the Immaculate Conception. And so when we have that feast day, now we have a wonderful feast day that's also a holy day of obligation, but but this is also part of our tradition of our family community here in the Archdiocese of Portland. St. Patrick's or St. Clair's Church, that patron saint is one that's to guide that group of people that come to that parish, that school. There's something about mm-hmm. those saints, those feasts that bring us together in smaller communities, but also as larger communities that were one body. Absolutely. You know, and I really would encourage that. That's a great way for us to to have a, a special devotion in, in our life as Catholics whatever parish you belong to what is the what is the titular mm-hmm. name of your parish what what saint is your parish uh, named after well you should learn about that saint and right. I wonder how many you know people really do I mean I, I remember the parish I belong to um, 
you know, as, as, an, you know, as a kid, you don't probably think much about these things, but as an adult, the first parish I belonged to as a quote unquote adult, uh, was St. Ignatius parish of Loyola a parish back in, in Houghton, Michigan. Well, I didn't really know that much about St. Ignatius of Loyola at the time, quite honestly. And so I, I did some reading on him and, and, and it was great to, to learn that in, in there's his statue and, right. you know, I could connect with that. Or if, if maybe the name of your parish is a mystery, uh, a name of our Lord, Holy Redeemer, mm-hmm. uh, you know, or maybe it's a mystery, the Holy Cross or the Immaculate Conception. You know, in other words, know the mystery or the saint to whom your parish is dedicated and, and let that enrich your spiritual life. One of the feasts that we have one, I want to say four times, we have different basilicas that are right. in Rome and we have actually a feast or a particular day liturgically that we celebrate and in this month it will be St. Mary Major it'll right. be this Basilica and that's always interesting well this isn't a person but we're recognizing the presence of a particular you know it's interesting in, yeah you know it's interesting in the church and this I find this very curious in the in the churches and I, I wish I, I should I should do some study on this and, and understand why but in the churches if you will her ranking of mm-hmm. of of different kinds of feasts there's a certain uh, hierarchy of feasts so like, uh, of course, any feasts of our Lord are, mm-hmm. are the, of first rank. Uh, then, then, then after that actually comes the feast of the dedication of churches. And after the feast of the dedication of churches is the feast of Our Lady. And then after Our Lady are the apostles. And then after the apostles are the martyrs. You know, in other words, there's sort of like mm-hmm. this hierarchy, and I find it very interesting that the, the the solemnities of the dedications of churches actually ranks higher in the in the missal and in the church's liturgical tradition than even the feast of Our Lady, because the church, you know, as as the body of Christ is 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 the you know we're not just talking about buildings, but we're talking about the living right. temple of the of the church of the you know every every time we celebrate the feast of the dedication of a church, the church always reminds us. In the liturgy, in the readings, it's not about bricks and mortar. Mm-hmm. It's about the living stones that make up the church of God, the holy church of God, the body of Christ. So I think that's, that's, that's you know, in Our Lady, uh, and that's with Vatican II also, you know, that there, there wasn't a separate document uh, on Our Lady at Vatican II, but she was incorporated into Lumen Gentium, the, the dogmatic constitution on the church, because she is part of the church the preeminent mm-hmm. member of the church, for sure, but part of the church. And I think that's probably some of the same theology that goes into why, why the Feast of a Dedication of a Church would rank higher than, than, than even a, a, a Feast of Our, our, our Lady. Not, I mean, I, shouldn't, I should be careful about that. I mean, uh, if there's a certain solemnity of Our, our Lady that is a, like the Immaculate Conception right, happened right. to fall on the day that your church was dedicated, well, you know, she's going to take precedence <laughs> right. on that day at your parish church I'm talking about. But these four basilicas, mm-hmm. the f- four major basilicas in, in Rome, we, the Universal Church celebrates their dedication because of their significance in the life of the church. So we have St. Peter's Basilica, of course, in Rome, we have St. John Lateran, which actually is, is the cathedral church of the Diocese of Rome. So really, even though we associate the Pope mostly with St. Peter's. Uh, Peter's Basilica, mm-hmm. his actual cathedral church, where his cathedra is, is St. Is John Lateran. Uh, then we have St. Paul's outside the walls, uh, which is uh, the, the burial place of, of St. Paul. A beautiful basilica. One of my favorites. It's it's much. It's it's humongous. It's huge, but it's it's a simpler uh, design. It's not as ornate 
as the other basilicas. And there, there's something very appealing about that to me. There's an incredible mosaic in the, in the, and the apse uh, of, of St. Paul's outside the walls. It's, it's magnificent. But then we have the, the one we have, uh, you know, in, in, in this month, uh, of St. Mary Major, Santa Maria Maggiore, as they say in mm-hmm. Italian. And this is the church dedicated, this is sort of the, the universal church, basilica to Our Lady in the, in the, in the, in the Latin church, that uh, this is the, the preeminent uh, temple, if you will, dedicated to, to Our Lady, the Mother of God. And it really, historically, it, it goes back to uh, the time of the Council of Ephesus, uh, which it was in uh, 434, I, I, I believe I have that date right, I some of you will have to check my church history uh, recollection. But, uh, and it was, it was the Council of Ephesus that made the declaration that Mary was the Theotokos, the mm-hmm. God-bearer, the mother of God. She truly is the mother of God, really uh, clarifying uh, the divinity of Christ and the, and, the, and, and the whole Arian crisis that, that God, Jesus Christ, was truly man but also truly God, not, not you know, uh, God under the appearance or, uh, of a man, but, but truly both natures in one person, one divine person, the second person of the Holy Trinity, but with two natures, uh, a human nature and a divine mm-hmm. nature. And because Mary is the mother of Christ, the mother of Jesus Christ, she is the mother of the whole person. You know, you, you, somebody doesn't give birth to a nature. They give birth to a person. And the person that Mary gave birth to uh, was the second person of the Holy Trinity, uh, you know, incarnate in flesh. So, so she is truly the mother. Yes, she's the mother of Jesus. She is, but she is also the mother of God. Yeah. The, the, and so that was, that was defined solemnly at, at the Council of Ephesus, and that's really the, the origins of this basilica, not the current basilica. The current basilica is a much later mm-hmm. construction, but the original uh, church dedicated to, to Our Lady under, that, uh, under her title, uh, is is there? So it's a, it's a very important it's it's an important basilica because it's important for the universal church of the primary basilica in the Western Church dedicated to Our Lady, but also it's it's closely tied and connected to this theological point of the, de- the definition of the divinity of Christ, so that Mary could truly be called the Theotokos, the God bearer, the one who bore God, the Mother of God. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah, again. You know, so as we as the church celebrates that, we're not just celebrating the dedication of this beautiful, beautiful church, and it's a gorgeous church, but we're celebrating Our Lady. We're celebrating our Lord uh, and and in His divinity when we when we celebrate the dedication of this beautiful basilica. Yeah. And I think just to to take some time for these feast days, this is part of salvation history. This is part of how Jesus wants to encounter us through the lives of the saints, through his blessed mother, through hearing the word of God. I mean, there's so many ways, and you mentioned being on vacation, having this time to travel, whether it's for a family vacation or on pilgrimage, there's probably the opportunity for us to visit a small chapel, maybe a basilica, maybe a shrine, maybe some places mm-hmm. around wherever we are that we can discover the lives of the saints wherever we go. I mean, yeah, there are opportunities. I mean, how, many, how many people travel to the city of Portland and, yeah. uh, and, and learn when they're here that we have this incredible shrine to Our Lady of Sorrows, at the, right. what we call the Grotto, uh, the National Shrine of Our Lady of Sorrows under the care of, of the Servites. And so when, when, when Catholics you might come to vacation, if you will, in Portland or in the area around Portland, 
you know, wouldn't it be wonderful for to make sure they make that little pilgrimage mm-hmm. to the grotto? Or when when I go other places, you know, and and I know there's a shrine somewhere in in, in the vicinity, uh, you know, I'll try to I'll try to make sure I get to I get to visit that shrine. Right, exactly. And I think what a great way for families to make that a part of of a family trip of just how do we learn more about our faith, learn more about our Catholic history. It is through these patronal feasts, it is through the church, it is through our our brothers and sisters who have gone before us. We learn about our connection with Christ through their experience as well. And and we hope someday that we can continue to to sh- share that for the next generation. Exactly. You know, and I think this is something that that I so deeply love and appreciate about our Catholic faith is this rootedness that we have in sacred tradition that goes back literally millennia, (laughs) two Mm -hmm. millennia, uh, to the time of Christ, that we we are not just connected to one another in this world today, here and now in the church. But we stand, if you will, on the shoulders of those who've gone before us, who have handed on this incredible gift of faith to us, and who have sometimes grappled mm-hmm. with the real questions of faith over the centuries and, and, and had those theological debates and discussions that, that, that then end in uh, defined teachings of the church, like the divinity of Christ and uh, the, the, the resolution of the Arian crisis. Uh, it's, it's important for me to have that that connection. I mean, I have uh, pictures, you know, in my office and in my home of of saints that have a particular meaning to me. And when I look at their images, I feel connected to them. And and some of them are of more recent uh, time. St. John Paul II, I have a profound devotion to him. My chapel in my residence is devoted to him. I have a first-class relic of of John Paul II and an image of him. I feel very close to him there. But at the same time, you know, they've got uh, an icon there of St. Therese of Lisieux, you know, is a little bit older, uh, the little flower. And then there's Catherine of Siena, you know, uh, even older. And then we have images of Our Lady and St. Joseph. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's wonderful. In my office, I I hear in the pastoral center, I have above my desk an image of of the Venerable Frederick Barriga, who was the first bishop of Marquette, Michigan, where I was bishop before I came here. So one time I was his successor, and I have a great devotion to him uh, and a connection to him. In fact, when I found out that I had been named a bishop and therefore his successor, I I went first to the Blessed Sacrament Chapel and prayed there, and then I went down to to Bishop Barriga's tomb. And if you go back and and look uh, uh, and to the sign-in book and the guest book <clears throat> from December 3rd. No, it wasn't December 3rd. It was November 29th, uh, 2005, the day I got the call. You'll see an inscription there that just says, you know, Bishop Barriga, please pray for me. It's that connection, you know, that we have. That's why we talked last week about the traditional Latin Mass, and that's why I feel a, a, a certain attraction to it in myself is because this was the this was the liturgy that nourished my my mother growing up. This is the, the, the liturgy that nourished my grandparents and Bishop Baraka mm-hmm. and, you know, St. Catherine of Siena and St. Therese of Lisieux and St. John Paul II in his earlier life. Uh, so it's, uh, this is what's so great about being Catholic mm-hmm. is, is, is that we have this incredible heritage of faith. And, it, and I think this is a great thing to, to close on is just the communion of saints and intercessory prayer. And as you mentioned, this, this monumental moment for you 
of being invited to be ordained a bishop, you go to one of your predecessors and to ask in prayer, pray for me, lead me on, you know, and of course you're immediately going to God, please help me yeah, <laughs> to do what exactly. I'm supposed to do. But but those men and women who have gone before us, the saints, they're with us. Mm-hmm. And particularly at Holy Mass, we are celebrating the Mass and they are with us as we pray to God and worship uh, that we need their help and assistance. You know, that's <clears throat> that's a very good point. You know, when we come to the... I always have this image, you know, when when I come to Mass, that Earth is united to Heaven in, in the Holy Liturgy, uh, and I think the 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 Eastern uh, Church, the Eastern Catholic Church, and the Eastern Orthodox as well have a, have a, a greater sense of this of the divine. They call it, there's the Divine Liturgy, and they have this greater sense of of Heaven being united to Earth that they have in their churches the iconostasis, which is the <clears throat> icon screen that separates the sanctuary from from the the, the, the the gathering of the people. And there's a sense of the royal doors and and, and we enter heaven here, uh, that beyond these doors we enter into heaven. And, and, and what goes on in the altar is a participation in the heavenly liturgy. Well, this is true in the in the Latin church as well, in the, in the Western church, in the Roman rite, that when we're at the altar there at Holy Mass, that we're united to the heavenly liturgy, that, that liturgy that goes on, the, the banquet of the Lamb, that goes on in the presence of, of, of God for, for all eternity now, and, and, and we participate in that. And the saints and the angels unite with us at the altar. We're, we may think we're at, you know, whatever, St. James Parish mm-hmm. here gathered in this local community around the altar or at the altar, uh, but we're also united to our, the saints in heaven at that moment, and the angels, and we're 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 transported into a, a, a different realm. Into that, that's why I think we sometimes celebrate the liturgy in a way that that makes it very pedestrian and, and sort of banalizes it in some sense. We 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 lose that mystical sense of 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 that we have stepped out of the ordinary here, and we are in we are transformed, we are transported. Mm-hmm. In, in, into a mystical realm and a participation in, in the mystical mysteries, the cosmic liturgy, as Pope Benedict XVI so so beautifully spoke about it in, in his book, The Spirit of the Liturgy, mm. that we are united with, with all of, of, of heaven. Absolutely. Well, let's continue to focus during the summer season to really learn about our faith, to grow in our faith, to explore new churches in our communities, and to call upon the guidance and the intercession of the saints. Would you help us close yes, in prayer, please? Yes, for sure. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit come down upon all of you and remain with you this day and forever. Amen. Amen. And thank you all for listening to The Voice of the Shepherd on Mater Day Radio. We look forward to sharing with you again next week. For Archbishop Alexander Sample, I'm Dina Marie. And until our next encounter, may you have a blessed week. You've been listening to The Voice of the Shepherd with Archbishop Alexander Sample a production of the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon. To subscribe to this podcast and access to all of our past shows, visit moderndayradio.com. Please email your comments and questions for the show to info at archdpdx.org. Learn more about the Archdiocese of Portland in Oregon online at archdpdx.org. Peace be with you.